I'm Kate Daniels, and we're so fortunate to have Dr. Peter Osborne with us this morning, bringing us important insights, and from those, a great gift, which could mean a relief from some chronic pain. We're here to learn from Dr. Osborne, whose clinical focus is the holistic natural treatment of chronic degenerative diseases, with a primary focus on gluten sensitivity and food allergies. He's the author of a new book, No Grain, No Pain, A 30-Day Diet for Eliminating the Root Cause of Chronic Pain. And he joins us now to look at some specific areas, and we can get a good overview. Dr. Peter Osborne, good morning. It is so wonderful to have you join us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I am so looking forward to the information you have to share with us and to really learn a lot and become healthier in the process. And so part of it, as we launch into this, Dr. Osborne, functional medicine is a big part of it. And I think this is still a relatively new term for many of us. So would you help us by giving us an overview so we understand this? Absolutely. I, I think it would be good to set the premise for what functional medicine is not, too, um, typically, <clears throat> excuse me. Typically, when people go to a doctor, they have a set of symptoms, whether those symptoms are pain or or fatigue or hair loss or whatever the case might be. And generally, the doctor's inclination is to write a prescription medication um, that will that the patient can take that will artificially or chemically manipulate that person's symptoms and help them to go away. And and so. Not that there's anything wrong with that on the surface, but it doesn't address the underlying reason why the person's having the problem in the first place. It just masks the original problem. So in actuality, long-term, it creates a false sense of security for the patient. The reason they had the problem is not being addressed. They're actually just being medicated. And so the underlying problem is allowed to continue to manifest and fester and turn into a greater problem. It's almost like duct taping a pipe uh, with a leak instead of replacing the pipe. Eventually, the pipe's going to completely burst. The duct tape is only a temporary fix. Well, whereas, so, so that's kind of a conventional medicine model for treating chronic disease. Now, if we look at, at what functional medicine is, functional medicine is, is a relationship between a doctor and a patient where the doctor's actually trying to look for the underlying reason as to why the patient has the problem. So if a person comes in with headaches, you know, there are a thousand different reasons why a person might have a headache. It's the doctor's job to really thoroughly investigate all those potential possible reasons and then be able to guide that patient through changes in their lifestyle, changes in their diet, um, to make sure that that symptom goes away um, at its core as opposed to just masking that symptom. So those are really two of the fundamental differences. Now, I will, I will point out one other thing. I, I'm not anti-medicine at all. I think we have the best emergency medical system in the world. So if you break a bone or you have some type of acute trauma, we have the best health care in the world. But when it comes to chronic disease, diseases that most people blame on getting older, we have the worst health care in the world because you can't drug a chronic problem. You have to look for the origin of where that problem is coming from and why that problem exists, and you have to address that origin, and that's functional medicine. Excellent. And in... Uh, on your website, but in your new book, No Grain, No Pain, we have the opportunity to learn more and really uh, look for such a a practitioner, a functional medicine doctor in our own area, right? That's correct. I I, I dedicated an entire chapter to that. It's such an important topic and concept. I think it's, it's where 
future of medicine is headed. It may not be there quite yet today, but I think um, I think we're going to see a, a big, big grassroots push over the next 10 years for functional medicine to really come out and shine. There are so many excellent reasons that benefit us by having this model, by using the approach of functional medicine, not the least of which, of course, is just that we will feel better and Along with that, our medical system, our whole healthcare system has been in such dire stress and distress that this approach is also going to remedy that problem, I think. I think so. I mean, here we have, you know, it's, it's kind of ironic. We have government subsidizes the growth of grain as a food to feed the populace. And there are so many harmful things in grain that make people sick. And so then these people get sick, and now the government subsidizes health care. But the type of health care that's being subsidized is the kind of health care that doesn't really resolve why the person's sick. And that's where functional medicine really can come in and be a game changer. It's, it's not that people shouldn't have access to health care. It's just that people should have access to health care that's meaningful and that, and that doesn't just cover their symptoms but actually, again, addresses the origin of why the problem is there in the first place. Indeed. And so that's the opportunity we have by taking a look at this really terrific approach and looking at no grain, no pain. Now, one of the things, as you mentioned, of course, is the government subsidizes grain, so we certainly have it plentifully available uh, everywhere we look. And it's actually considered part of our good, healthy diet. Uh, now with the my plate portions, even a quarter of what we eat during the day should be grains, it's said. Yeah, and, that, and that's, um, unfortunately, that myth has been perpetuated for years. I, let me give you a little bit of history. In 1943, the United States government banned the sale of grain because it was causing so much disease and so much terminal illness. Um, two diseases in particular, beriberi and pellagra, were rampant, uh, rampant enough for the government to step in and say you can no longer sell this grain unless you fortify it with vitamins and minerals because the grain itself was so unhealthy and, so, and it was malnourishing people. Um, and a lot of people don't remember that. It was in 1943, or they weren't alive when it happened. And so what the cereal industry and the grain industry did at the time was they reverse-engineered their marketing campaign. Instead of saying the truth, which is, don't eat us, we'll kill you, they said, uh, hey, let's, um, let's everybody eat more of this because now it's even better for you because it's fortified with vitamins and minerals and it should be a part of your daily balanced diet. And that, that around that same... Uh, Time frame, you know, we had all the commercialization that occurred, and TV uh, became more popular. And so, you know, you had this at the first time in the history of the world, you could reach into millions of homes simultaneously through commercial ads. And so, we we just basically reared a generation of people who were literally, pun intended, ingrained and in, indoctrinated into the belief that grains were a necessity for human health and life. And it's just not true. There's not one shred of scientific evidence that says that grains are a necessity in the human diet. And it has largely just been a, a um, kind of a media blitz, if you will, uh, a concoction put together by, by the Department of Agriculture um, because the government subsidizes grain. And so they're going to take your tax dollars to feed, uh, to feed people, and they're, gonna, they're not going to tell you don't eat grain while they're taking your tax dollars to feed people grain. I mean, it's, it's a conflict of interest at this point. And would it be too far-fetched to say that somehow we've developed an addiction 
And that sounds like a really strong word. But are we so then ingrained that we love our breads? I mean, I really love grains. I love my bread every day. I hear lots of people say, oh, I must have my bread daily. So is this something that we've just developed a habit for? Well, here's the thing. Grain is has addictive proteins in it. You know, there's a there's a common misconception that food is is um, is not a drug. By definition, let me define what I mean. By definition, a drug is anything that makes you feel, think, or act differently. Okay, and the food fits that definition. Chemically speaking, you know, you ever seen a two year old eat sugar for the first time and fly off the walls? You know that sugar has a drug like effect. Well, grain has a drug-like effect, too. There's actually been a couple of different classes of proteins found in grain that mimic morphine, and uh, one of them is called gluteomorphin. In this particular protein, uh, people crave their bread and get addicted to their bread because that gluteomorphin protein, it feels good. It makes them feel good. So when people are stressed out or they're sad, they gravitate toward the cookie or to the baked good or to the bagel because it, it delivers morphine to them, and it calms everything down, and it makes them feel better. That is really important to understand, and you've done that for us in a very simple way. So as I think about looking at products on the store shelf that say they're gluten-free, are we somehow, though, finding products that are going to have some other sneaky kind of thing in it that is going to not be healthy for us? Well... So, yeah, if you're, if you're looking at going on a gluten-free diet, you want to understand that going to the gluten-free food aisle and just replacing that um, gluten-free, that, that, that gluten-containing bread for a gluten-free bread item, you're actually not doing yourself any favors. There's, a gen, there's a, what I call a cardinal rule of nutrition, and that is one cannot achieve health or maintain health eating food that isn't healthy. And so the, big, the bigger and the smarter and the better question to ask is not is it gluten-free, but is it gluten-free and also is it healthy for me to eat? Because a lot of these gluten-free substitute products are full of genetically modified grains, full of pesticides, full of mic- a chemical from mold called mycotoxins. Many of them have high levels of cadmium and arsenic and mercury in them. And so they're just not good for us. So we, so a lot of people, you know, the gluten-free diet has become very trendy, and that's not to say that it hasn't been helpful for a lot of people. It's just a lot of people are gravitating toward that gluten-free food aisle, and they're picking up these highly processed gluten-free foods that are just not good for them, and then they're wondering why the gluten-free diet doesn't work. And then they, then they, they kind of dismiss the diet as, oh, this diet didn't work for me. I'm not going to do it anymore. But the reality was is they were still eating grains that were full of other chemicals and full of bad things that didn't allow their body to heal and get healthy. So we're getting to hear the pitfalls that exist all around us, and it's not as simple as then going to the grocery store and picking up those gluten-free products. You actually, in your new book, brand new book, No Grain, No Pain, give us a 30-day approach where we can really begin to, now can I say easily, or just a, a little more readily and at a good pace, eliminate those grains from our lifestyle? I would say easily. We've done most of the work for you, so there's no thinking. You just have to, it just becomes application. The, the biggest challenge, you know, and I've been in practice for 15 years, and the biggest challenge that, that we've had with our patients is, you know, prepping them for being able to follow the diet. And so one of the things we wanted to accomplish in this book was to establish a very easy to follow. In other words, all you have to do is follow it. You don't have to think. Once you get through 30 days, 
you'll feel so much better you won't want to go back in the other direction and at that point your life really begins and and uh then then from there you can start exploring and expanding your diet and your palate a little bit more but we tried to put together a 30-day program that was super easy to follow and so do you feel i imagine you would that we can pick up the book and get launch right into the program do we need to prepare ourselves in any way, uh, whether it's uh, preparing our house and getting rid of all that kind of junk food around us or prepare ourselves mentally? Well, there's this old saying, it's, it, 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 it's know thyself, right? Know thyself. Know what your potential to cheat is. So if you're the kind of person who, if bread's in the house and you know you'll buckle in a moment of weakness, then yes, prepare your pantry, prepare your home, get those things out. Don't put temptation in your way um, because it, if it's there, you know, when we're hungry, it's very easy to lose willpower. And uh, so if that's the kind of person and you know yourself and that's what, what potentially could happen to you while in the program, then definitely set yourself up for success, not failure. And this is so well outlined in the book and you are helping us. You want us to be succeeding, obviously. So th- the path is there, the pattern is there, and we can do this with success. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I think, you know, again, in 15 years of clinical practice, I've not yet run across a person uh, who was in pain, uh, whether, it, whether it was a physical manifestation of pain like joint pain or arthritis or whether it was an autoimmune manifestation of pain like rheumatoid arthritis or hypothyroidism that couldn't get better. Not a single person, not in 15 years. And you share the stories. And that's a really important part of the book, of, of any situation in this way, I think. Share the stories of people who have used this and their successes in doing so. So like you mentioned the arthritis, where eliminating the grains rather than taking medications, which can harm us, and bodies can build up immunity to that, we are able to eliminate this from our food, from our diet, these particular foods, and really feel stronger and better, you say, right? Absolutely. And one of the reasons I share the stories of success is I want people to know there's hope. And I even, I, we took one step further. Um, not only did I tell their stories in the book, but a lot of people are skeptical and they say, oh, anybody can write about a story and is it true or is it not true? But we actually put links to live video uh, of these people sharing their stories on camera. So you can, you can go and watch their stories and, and you can hear it from the proverbial horse's mouth so you know that this diet is the real deal. It's serious. We didn't, we're not, um, you know, these weren't just stories that were made up that we put into a book as, as, as can be done. Not that, not that I'm accusing every author of that's ever done that of doing that, but we wanted people to, we wanted that layer of skepticism to be completely removed. So we wanted to basically have 100% clarity and openness in the, in the stories that we presented within the book. And you founded the Gluten-Free Society, and I believe that's where we can find these links. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. It's um, yeah. So in the book, as you as you read about a testimonial story, there's typically there's a link underneath the story that you can go back to the website and actually watch that person tell their story um, on a video. Excellent. So all the more reason there's the stories. There's all of that support. People expressing how this has changed their lives and. 
that is such a key thing. Again, uh, you know, just as you mentioned how Western medicine deals with and is important with traumatic situations, so are certain medications important. But it is true that we have become over-medicated. The pharmaceuticals are just kind of overrunning our life and not providing really any good health as a result of it. Yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, with with acute care medicine, we have a great system. With chronic disease treatment, we have a horrible system. And I'm hoping that this book helps bridge that gap for people to be able to find and discover the importance of diet, renew the importance of diet and lifestyle and self-choice and self-empowerment. Uh, you know, because at the end of the day, when we're sick, we can't, we can't blame something else. We can't blame someone else. We have to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, what is it that we can change? What is it that we can be empowered to do? And that's what the message of this book really boils down to. It, it, it gives that message of empowerment. It gives the instruction book, the blueprint for a person to follow. And not just a blueprint that's in theory, but a blueprint that's been tried and true for 15 years. Uh, and it just gives the person that ability to take that and run with it. And so just as a, a point of interest for yourself, Dr. Osborne, your de- decision to pursue medicine in this way, was there something that happened? Was there some particular impetus? Yeah, when I, when I was early on in, in my career, uh, actually before graduate school, I was, a, I was a somewhat of a non-professional bodybuilder. It was, it was more just a pursuit of, of, of passion than anything else. But I learned early on that nutrition was very critical for my ability to heal and repair and recover after workouts. But subsequent to that, I, I, during graduate school, I, I spent a lot of time in the VA hospital in rheumatology, which is rheumatology is the study of autoimmune pain conditions. So diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia and lupus and uh, psoriatic arthritis and spondyloarthropathies, these were the types of diseases that we were treating. And um, what, we, what we ran into and what I ran into as a, as a conflict was that the drugs didn't work. Nobody ever got better. And, and my attending physician was a very embittered man. He'd been doing this for 40 years, and, and you know, I, he was a great guy, but he was not a great guy because he was so bitter. And I think, I don't know, this is my opinion. I think as I analyzed his situation, he'd been doing the same thing for 40 years, and no one was ever getting better. And imagine having a job where the outcome has never changed, where you go in and no matter what you do, the patient doesn't get better. To me, that would make me a bitter person after 40 years. And I didn't want to see myself going through that same, going through that same 40-year cycle. So I had to ask a tough question, which is, if, if what we're doing isn't working, how do we change what we're doing to make a, an improvement? And so the impetus for me was, was finding, okay, these are autoimmune diseases. What is it that we know about autoimmune disease that we're not doing that we can be doing? And that led me to uh, night after night, spending night after night in the medical library doing research. And there were two fundamental pieces of evidence that I found um, in the medical literature that had been very well established that nobody was following. And one of them was that the only known cause for any autoimmune disease was food, and that was gluten sensitivity. And the other was that if you took patients with autoimmune pain and you took food away, in other words, you fasted them for 24, 48 hours, they had dramatic improvement in their pain. And so, you know, the logical next step in that process is, one, we know that food can cause one kind of autoimmune disease. Two, when we take food away, autoimmune disease pain dramatically reduces. So why then wouldn't we pursue that as a research study at, at the very least um, to improve our patient outcomes? And so that's what I did. 
um, I, you know, the VA hospital would not allow me to pursue that, so I left the VA hospital and in my own private practice, one of my early patients was terminal with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, had six months to live, uh, permanent stent embedded in the arm, and um, now that patient is getting ready to graduate high school. Um, no longer, obviously, is no longer terminal, no longer on medication, in complete remission, all because we made diet changes. And, uh, and that was the beginning for me. That, that, that saving that one patient's life was the beginning of, a, of a, what I will call my legacy. Hopefully, I'll leave that legacy to the rest of the world and that, you know, with the 46 million people with autoimmune pain and the 100 million people suffering in chronic pain don't have to be if they can get their hands on this kind of information. That is utterly phenomenal to see that kind of change. How can we not be inspired and at least give it a try? But we see and hear from that kind of a testimonial, those kinds of situations, how positive and possible all of this is. And we can actually get ourselves to the point of living pain-free. Yeah, absolutely. It's... um. That's what, that's another reason why we just made it 30 days, you know. Go with it. Go with it for 30 days. If at the end of 30 days you don't notice a difference, call me. <laughs> <laughs> call my clinic. Either you didn't do it right uh, or, you're, or you're missing an element, and we can help you if you're missing an element. My clinic can certainly help people if they're missing a particular key element, but um, the program works. So that's it, Dr. Osborne. You're saying follow this and it is going to be successful. It's not that you're going to be like part of a half a percent or a quarter of a percent of people that it won't work for. This is definitely something that is going to make each of us healthier and uh, throughout our life not experience chronic pain. Exactly. It, it definitely works. It doesn't matter who you are. The program works. Uh, the only issue that we've ever had, the only snags that we've ever had in the clinic is that sometimes people get to a point where uh, the program works and they're 60 or 70 percent better, but there's a couple of other things that need to be looked at um, to get them to, to get over that proverbial kind of sticking point or plateau. That is so superb. As you talk about uh eliminating these foods from our life that that cause this chronic pain. I, I think about people, that, and I know of a an older woman who has, uh, for decades now, lived with chronic pain, I, which I cannot fathom doing, continuing to live like that. But often when they're on limited income, they also look to very inexpensive foods, such as eating a lot of breads and pastas, they're just exacerbating the problem, aren't they? That's exactly right. And, and unfortunately, you know, not many doctors are trained in nutrition. Um, I'm actually one of about 350 um, board-certified diplomates in clinical nutrition among all doctors. So there aren't very many of us. The average doctor gets seven hours of nutrition, and unfortunately, as in the case of the woman you're talking about, she's probably, and I don't want to put words in her doctor's mouth, but she's probably been told that she's just getting older, and nutrition's not all that important, and she just needs to accept that. But the reality is if she'll change her diet, um, she'll, she'll change her life, she'll change her outcome, and instead of spending money on pain medications, especially living on a limited budget, she'll start spending that money on real food, and, but not only... Will she improve her quality of life? She'll improve her duration of life. 
so, so critically important. And one other just little piece of that in terms of what the doctor her medical doctor had told her was, uh, well, you know, at this age, you should just go ahead and do that because you should have that enjoyment. But the fact is, if it's causing you more pain, how is that considered any kind of enjoyment, right? Exactly. I mean, there's a, there's a saying, nothing tastes so good as it feels to be healthy. Yes. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the message in our, in our generation nutritionally has been food's not really that important. It doesn't play that big a role in your health. Don't worry about it. Um, social eating is, is kind of the accepted norm. People kind of go out socially and kind of obliterate themselves with food. Um, I know that, that may be a strong word, but it's a true word. I mean, we, we, we honestly, if we look at statistics of disease, cancer, heart disease, autoimmune disease, diabetes, osteoporosis, obesity, are all nutritional diseases. And that that group of five diseases kills more people in America than anything else. And so if we don't turn to food and if we don't start paying attention to our diet, we don't start playing a greater role of putting a greater role of importance on what we're eating, then there's no way that in the world that any amount of drugs or any amount of surgeries or any amount of medical procedures are going to fix that. And that's actually what we see coming to fruition. If you look at medicine as a whole, and I, again, I don't mean medicine in treating acute disease. I mean medicine in treating chronic disease, those diseases I just mentioned. It's the only business model that continues to miserably fail in getting its customers better or getting its customers healed, yet it continues to grow year after year. You can't tell me of any other business model that fails its customers that continues to, to tout record growth. And now we've just subsidized that model with taxpayer dollars to ensure that it will never go away yet the outcomes aren't any better. Throwing more money at, at, at uh, drugs and medicine is not the solution. Throwing money, and throwing, uh, throwing money at education and throwing money at empowering people to take their own health in their own hands by changing their diets and changing their lifestyle is the only way out of this mess that's been created by commercialization of food. I so appreciate you, Dr. Osborne. That is such common sense. And uh, I guess perhaps it's somewhat lacking, but to have you state this and to provide us with, like this blueprint of no grain, no pain, this 30-day diet for eliminating the root cause of chronic pain, this is such an important pathway. And that empowerment of letting us become more informed and and dictating our life rather than uh, looking to some other source that's only going to perpetuate that pain uh, doesn't make any sense, does it? Not at all. No. So uh, the book, No Grain, No Pain, is quite new, but it's readily available. And of course, we can find it at all of our uh, most favorite book sources, correct? That's right. It's available at Barnes & Noble. It's available at your local bookstore. You can find it at Amazon online. Uh, if you want to pick up, if you're interested at all in getting a copy, I would encourage you to use, uh, there's a special website that the publisher set up. It's nograinnopainbook.com. And uh, if you order through that link or through that page, and you can still order from any of those retailers, you just have to, there's a, if you enter your receipt number at that website, you're going to get access to a lot of different bonuses, an extra recipe book. You'll get access to some exercise videos as well as you'll get access to a uh, free 60-page ebook on healthy gut function and how to get your 
uh, how to get your gut fixed. And so there's just a lot of bonuses and coupons, $200 coupon package in that. In that. And if you're going to order the book, I would just encourage you to go that route so that you can take advantage of those, of those deals while they, while they last. And that goes through, I think, February 8th. Wonderful. That is such a great gift. And again, supporting us to have good health, to feel vibrant and strong each day of the life that we live, right? Absolutely. Yes. Well, this has been so informative and so interesting, Dr. Osborne. I just appreciate you so greatly. Thank you for taking time with us and also for this wonderful book that uh, stays with us and we can keep learning and growing. Well, you're welcome. And thank you so much for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, it's truly been my pleasure. Thank you.